Contracting for the Climate, Focus on Greenwashing. Welcome to Construction and the Climate. This is a podcast series from 39 Essex Chambers with me, Camilla Tahar and Ruth Keating. In this podcast series, we'll be discussing the big climate issues affecting the construction sector. Today, we're joined by Miles Lockwood. Miles is Director of Complaints and Investigations at the Advertising Standards Authority. Miles joined the ASA in 2010 and is responsible for leading the complaints and investigations teams, dealing with over 30,000 complaints per year. So Miles is excellently placed for our discussion today in relation to greenwashing. Good afternoon, Miles. Good afternoon. You recently updated your advertising guidance on misleading environmental claims and social responsibility. Can you please give us an overview of that guidance? Sure. Well, our guidance is designed to assist businesses in the interpretation of the advertising codes, which themselves contain both general rules applicable to ads, including environmental claims, and also a dedicated section of environmental code rules. And it's comprehensive guidance, which brings together the lessons from key rulings into one place, one helpful place, on both the issue of misleadingness and social responsibility. And as I say, it's designed to help business as we continue to publish decisions through the work of our project. We are committed to continually update this guidance with the latest decisions, the latest thinking. And as you say, it was updated most recently in February when we included new information on our latest thinking on carbon neutrality and net zero claims in advertising. But it's also at the beginning of June when we're speaking about to be refreshed again imminently to reflect guidance flowing from some really important decisions we've made in the last few weeks on aspirational green claims against the companies Shell, Petronas, Repsol, Anglian and Seven Trent Water, as well as key rulings from a little while ago, which include rulings such as HSBC, Deutsche, Lufthansa and Etihad. And that update is due in the middle of June 2023. So it's a really useful, important resource, and I recommend businesses make use of it, as well as all of our other sources of help which includes our dedicated e-learning module on the environment and our free-to-use copy advice service, which businesses can use for tailored advice on non-broadcast ads. Thanks, Miles. So a lot of really helpful sources there. And as you said, also a lot of helpful decisions that have been issued by the ASA in recent months. In terms of those environmental claims that people are making at the moment and businesses are making, What do you think are the key things that those businesses should bear in mind when they're making those environmental claims? This is the million dollar question, isn't it? It's a really big question and it's one I keep being asked. So I have got a few thoughts on this and a few pointers. I mean, firstly, I think the businesses need to recognise, if they haven't already, that this is a highly contentious and sometimes complex field of marketing. And when I think about this area, of all the areas that the ASA regulates, I think environmental claims can be some of the most complex because... You have complex science, you have complex supply chains sometimes which lie behind the claims that you need to make. And at the same time, secondly, I think businesses also therefore need to recognise that whilst consumers often have high interest in making green choices and they're interested in hearing from businesses about the claims and the opportunities that they want to put to them, at the same time, time and time again, our research is telling us that they have low levels of knowledge and understanding in this area. They understand very little whilst at the same time being attracted to these claims a lot. And especially today, I think thirdly, as businesses, I think it's really important that you need to be thinking strategically and honestly about where you are now on your sustainability journey. 
and then make sure that your business teams are in alignment with those ground rules. And, you know, this really does, I think, include the need for businesses to be authentic these days, to have an authentic plan and to communicate those plans honestly and simply. So, you know, the days that where marketing teams drove sustainability communications with no thought to the wider strategy, with no joining up with the compliance function and with the other teams in business are well and truly over. And I think the days of hyperbolic green claims are over. But look, you know, it's not all doom and gloom. There are things that work. And some of our research tells us what consumers prefer to see in this space. And we're often told by consumers when we do research on this topic that what they do respond very positively to are more limited claims, claims about what a business has just done in this space or is going to do next, rather than these sort of very you know, long-term aspirational claims about what a company might be doing in 2050, which really make very little sense to the man or woman on the street. And then the other piece of advice I always give, it's absolutely vital if you are making a green claim to be precise, to limit your claim, to qualify your claim where possible, to have evidence, and to, as I say, to avoid this sort of tendency to be hyperbolic or overly broad-brushed. But, you know, sometimes the solutions are simple and simpler than you think. I mean, there's one really good example that we ruled on last year, and this was tier scooters, you know, these scooters which zip around town. And the claim was, you know, be pedestrian and environmentally friendly. Well, look, you know, I don't know about pedestrian friendly. I'm not so sure about that, but we didn't actually investigate that claim anyway. But we did investigate this claim environmentally friendly in the relation to an e-scooter. And, you know, there was nothing environmentally friendly about the battery which the scooter is powered by, where, you know, we know that there are serious concerns about mining in the Congo and, and other places in the world, which results in ecological harms, and where there was no life cycle assessment available for the scooter at the beginning of its life or its end of life. But, you know, if Tira just said, instead of environmentally friendly, environmentally friendlier, that probably would have been a claim which we wouldn't have found problematic. So sometimes it's the answers to these problems can dance on the head of a pin and they can turn through just very, very small tweaks to advertising claims. That's very helpful. And you've mentioned the problems here, given the complexity of some of these fields, the complexity of the science and supply chains. And you've also mentioned that you've recently produced guidance on carbon neutrality. And I'd be very interested to hear more about the work, the guidance that you've developed on talking about carbon neutrality and net zero. Yeah, it's a huge topic. As everybody knows, there's lots of debate and concern around carbon neutrality and net zero claims. And, you know, the concerns about it go well beyond the issue of advertising. But we recognised very early on in our project that this was an area of priority for us because everybody is making carbon neutrality and net zero claims. So we, in fact, published consumer research on it in 2022 this was qualitative research and explore with participants their responses to carbon neutral and net zero claims and advertising and the results were really interesting there were a lot of results but just to reduce into some of the key ones there was a lot of consumer misunderstanding about the definition so consumers were telling us that they just didn't understand what these claims meant there were calls from participants for the simplification and standardization of terms, which obviously is something that the ASA can't achieve. There were real concerns from consumers about carbon neutrality in particular. 
The first aspect of that concern was that consumers thought that a carbon neutral claim meant that an absolute reduction in carbon was taking place when actually that, of course, as we know, is not necessarily the case. And when the role of offsetting was explained to consumers, consumers told us that they felt misled. In fact, you know, there was anger at the role that offsetting plays in these claims when that was explained to them. So what did we do with those findings? We shared those findings with government with a recommendation that the government and government agencies do have a think about whether standardisation would be a way forward here. We updated our guidance, and the guidance now closely aligns with the CMA's own guidance and makes clear that the basis of carbon neutrality on net zero claims needs to be explained in the ad itself. So if you're making a carbon neutral claim and achieving that via offsetting, the ad needs to explicitly make that clear. And with that published guidance, what we then committed to do was to review and monitor ads across different sectors using our machine learning tools that we now have available to see what effect that guidance has had and is having, and also to gather examples of the kinds of evidence being used to substantiate those claims. We are nearing the end of that process now, and it's likely that in July this year, we will recommend to our sister body, the Committee of Advertising Practice, who sets the standards, who sets the rules, that they take and carry forward a consultative exercise which will look at this issue and which will in due course lead to comprehensive new guidance that will make clear what kinds of evidence are more or less likely to be acceptable in advertising claims when you're making a carbon neutral net zero claim. And that review, we think, will necessarily require us to engage experts in the field. And I can tell you that at the same time, we are having detailed conversations with the Department of Energy and Net Zero, with the Voluntary Carbon Markets Initiative, and with other actors, including the Competition Markets Authority, as well as also keeping a close eye on what the EU are developing in terms of their own thinking as well at the moment, because it's really important that when we get in the detail of these discussions that we are aligned with other bodies, other regulators and other markets. As part of that piece, you've mentioned this important divide between consumers. On the one hand, they have this attraction or attraction to environmentally friendly claims. But against that, of course, you have this counterpoint, which is the actual knowledge that consumer have of the underlying claims. And all of that, of course, leading to the anger that you've outlined that consumers can feel if they feel they've been misled. In terms of reporting, what trends are you seeing in reporting concerns in relation to adverts? We are seeing a steady increase in the numbers of complaints about this issue. I mean, that's in part driven by concerns about the climate. Obviously, people's awareness of the climate emergency, of the environmental emergency has been growing in recent years. You know, sort of the David Attenborough effect, isn't it? Probably also, I would guess, because we have got much more active in this space in recent years, that in turn also raises awareness and begins to drive more interest in it. So complaints are on the rise. I mean, they're in the hundreds, not thousands. But one of the interesting things about the kind of issues that we're seeing is that we are beginning to see entering into the complaining space more sophisticated campaigning groups who are driving significant high-quality complaints to us. There are three groups in particular who we are encountering quite a bit at the moment. One is called Ad-Free Cities, Another is called Bad Advertising. Uh, no clue there what they think about advertising. And the third is an organisation called New Weather Institute, all of which take a strongly anti-advertising stance. They obviously have an agenda 
But that said, you know, quite often they do submit quite high quality complaints to us. And that is something to think about here because we are beginning to see more organized campaigning groups coming into this space now who have sophisticated campaigns which take a very strong line against certain industries in particular, particularly obviously high carbon emitting industries being a particular concern for them. So we're seeing lots of complaints about misleadingness. There's less on the side of social responsibility, but I think that is something to watch, this issue of social responsibility and consumption behaviours, because we are beginning to see some hints of research groups and campaigning groups beginning to lift the lid on this question of whether advertising itself is a driver of unsustainable consumption behaviours. And I think in five years' time, I think there is going to be a lot more discussion which is rooted in that space as, you know, there is more awareness about the behaviour changes that need to take place if the UK is going to meet its net zero targets. And that is, I think, is a particular area of risk. I mean, we already see a little bit of this, if you think about it, when you look at the issue of high-fat sugar and salt advertising, where you've got groups which are say, you know, the buy one, get one free deals are effectively irresponsible because they drive unsustainable eating behaviours. And I don't think it's going to be very long before we see much more organised campaigns around is the marketing of an airline flight from you know London to Glasgow socially irresponsible because of the carbon emission. So that's something to think about. But look, you know, in terms of the ASA's work here, we will continue to be working on this project over the next four or five years as a minimum, we think which itself is telling about how important this issue is becoming not only for consumers, but also for the ASA. Miles, it's interesting hearing the sort of trends and rising concerns relating to social responsibility and behaviour related to consumption. And along that line, I understand you're working on some issues in relation to waste. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, it might help actually if I just explain the context that led us to carry out this review of waste. And one of the early decisions that we took in our project back in 2021 was around how to prioritise our proactive inquiries. And obviously, when you think about green issues, they are vast. You know, where do you start was one of the questions. And when we were looking at the policy landscape, we noted that the UK Climate Change Committee, which is the expert body which advises UK governments and the national governments on net zero targets, recommended that there is going to need to be consumer behaviour change and carbon reduction in some key areas if the UK is going to meet these legally binding net zero goals. And they identified those as the areas of energy, heating, transport, food, food production and consumption. And broadly, this issue of waste, you know, waste is a bit amorphous, but includes things like recyclable claims and so on. So we divided those issues up into what we call three issues-led reviews. We've largely completed the first now, energy, heating and transport, and we're moving on to this issue of waste. And what we're currently doing is carrying out consumer research that seeks to understand what consumers take from claims in ads that touch on things like recyclable, biodegradable, compostable, plastic-free, eco-friendly, and so on. And we do that by using real-life ad stimulus to get natural reactions from participants and then take them through an iterative process where we reveal more information and tests for responses. So, for instance, we might show them an ad for a compostable bag. Do they think that they can put that compostable bag into the black composter they've got in their back garden by the shed? Yes or no. But how do they feel when we tell them that the ad hasn't explained that that bag is only compostable 
as a council facility. So once we've got the findings, which sort of delves into some of these sorts of issues in the autumn, we'll obviously want to take stock of what that research is telling us, but it may well then feed into follow-up enforcement action against problem claims in this issue of waste across different sectors. And we do know, you know, it's obvious, you don't need research in a sense to tell you that there are some real issues with consumer misunderstanding many waste claims. You know, biodegradable claims in particular are also quite problematic because sometimes things are biodegradable only in particular circumstances. And consumers just have very low levels of knowledge about these things. As I said earlier, businesses have to work hard and work harder than they often think they need to do to actually help consumers navigate their way through some of these complex and nuanced claims and issues. Miles, such valuable insights there. And I think it's, as we can all agree, a really important area, but one where businesses are going to have to do the hard work, as you put it, to help consumers get to grips with such a nuanced area that is always developing in terms of our understanding and science as well. So thank you, Miles. We really appreciate the insights and thank you to our listeners as well. At 39 Essex Chambers, we cover a vast array of practice areas and sectors. You can find out more about our expertise and our barristers at 39essex.com, where you can also see our extensive catalogue of articles, podcasts and webinars. 